Welcome to each of you. This is Brian Frazier, and you're listening to Journey to the Stage. This is episode number 23. The tagline for my podcast is, every artist has a story, and every story has a beginning. So exploring that story is what Journey to the Stage is all about. So I've got just a few more episodes until the end of season one. I'm going to take a short break to spend some time with my family during the summer, and I'll be kicking off season two in the fall. And I've already got some great guests lined up um, and a nice big fat wish list of artists that I'll be reaching out to, so stay tuned. So anyone who knows me knows how much I love indie artists. These are my people. Um, They're the type of artists that I love to support and to promote. And truthfully, I'm kind of an indie podcaster. I don't have sponsors or a marketing budget, so I'm reliant on kind folks like you to help get the word out. So if you hear an episode you like, feel free to share it with your friends on your socials. You can always leave a kind review or throw some stars my way. It's always helpful for podcasts. You can check out my website, journeytothestage.com. I have a place there where you can support by a company that I've partnered with called Buy Me A Coffee. My guest today is someone I think you're really going to love, and I'm pretty new to her work, but she has created a deep and rich body of work. Ensconced in the artist's throne today is singer, songwriter, and multi-instrumentalist May Earlywine. May has a brand new and beautiful album out called Tiny Beautiful Things. We're going to play a couple of cuts from that here shortly and get to know May a bit. May, welcome to Journey to the Stage. Thank you for having me, Brian. I'm so happy to be here. It's great to have you. I've been, over the last couple of months, really getting to know your music and want to give a special thanks to our mutual friend, Wendy Brinford Jones, for connecting us. So how is summer treating you and your family? It's been good. You know, it honestly, it's been cold still here. Like it hasn't felt like summer and that's kind of normal for Northern Michigan. So I'm just like getting ready to get my garden beds in and it's just starting to feel like summer days. Um, but it's beautiful up here and yeah, I'm, I'm loving every bit of the sunshine. Nice. I've never been to Michigan before. That's something I'll need to correct before the lights turn out. Um, I've not visited that part of the country yet, but I'd, I'd love to someday. It's beautiful, especially in the summertime because the Great Lakes are just so majestic and amazing to witness. So I'm pretty new to your work. I'm maybe a two or three month fan, but I have to say you really make beautiful music and you've got a brand new album out that is, to me, is really timely We'll play a couple tracks from that here in a minute, but I want to explore your journey a little bit. You come from a a really musical family. Tell us about that. You know, my dad was in a band in the 60s, and so there's like that aspect of musical. He was in a band with his brother, who was also um, really known for his uh, guitar repair and luthier skills. So there's music in my family in that way. The way that I really was sort of nourished as an artist as a young kid was to really appreciate the arts as a vital part of quality of life. So art and music um, were just like a part of every day. And 
my dad really, really loves music in a way of, of like really treasuring listening to it. And so he kind of taught me how to appreciate a good song, to appreciate good writing or a good instrumental and also to appreciate good art and just to embrace it as a really important part of life. So mm-hmm. that influenced me, I think, almost more than him being a singer or, you know, any of that kind of more normal musician stuff. Right. Well, I, th- I have found that almost universally in the artists that I've been fortunate enough to connect with, that music in their home was really so central um, a lot of parents, a lot of their parents were musicians, but as you just expressed so eloquently, having a parent that could help you to understand the beauty of a well-crafted song, to appreciate what goes into that, and to have a great sense of of love for melody and these types of things, those those are things that parents really can help foster in their children, and that's really cool that you got to have that experience. Now, as you got into your teenage years which can be rather inglorious Um, music for a lot of people for me in particular music really was kind of an escape you know you I would go into my room turn on my favorite bands turn up the music and even for a little bit just kind of close out what was going on in the world outside the other side of my door in your teenage years what was music like for you was it as an escape was it something that you just enjoyed what what was that interaction like I agree. It was such a wonderful escape. And, you know, I would escape, I would use it in many ways because I started writing songs when I was like 12. Oh, really? Wow. I would escape to my songwriting was a really amazing way of processing a lot of those kind of wild emotions you have when you're a teenager, understanding yourself, understanding independence, understanding how you fit into community, like all those big things I had songwriting to kind of express the angst and like hyper emotional experience of being a teenager, which was really wonderful because my parents listened to so many different kinds, like genres of music. I really could dig into listening to music as an escape. Also, I was a skateboarder. And so I just like listen to really loud rock or punk music and skateboard around to just like get some of that energy out. And, and then I also like love just super, mellow sentimental tender stuff and that's like kind of always been my songwriting place and so mm-hmm. music really like if I hadn't have had music in, in all the ways I did as a teenager I don't I think I would have had a much harder time to be honest it really filled a lot of voids and was a place to go for sure like you said that's incredible and few of the things really can do that and what's neat it for me and maybe you experienced this as well when I hear some of those songs or some of those albums that were so central to my life and experience back then, it can almost take me back and really in some ways kind of usher those feelings back a little bit. Do you ever experience anything like that? Absolutely. It's so intense. It's like, I know that there's all these studies done about like how smell can trigger those things, but I, I feel with music almost equally as strong and I know, like, there's a lot of albums that do that, but they're, the Pixies album, Surfer Rosa, like, oh, I have yeah. this visceral memory of, like, and even, like, smells and colors and, like, this whole thing that happens when I listen to that record of this one summer that I just, like, listened to that. And I was, like, probably 15 or 16 listening to that record. Mm-hmm. And I had this, like, blue lowrider Schwinn bike. And I was just, like, 
And I just like all of it comes rushing back and I feel like I'm there, like almost like when you smell something and you're taken to a different place. Like it's very, very visceral experience. I just find that to be incredibly fascinating. I, I've mentioned it before, but I heard somebody say that music is the closest thing we have to true time travel. And I thought, wow, that's pretty profound because my experience, your experience is there's, there's really a lot of truth in that. There are some albums that can put me back in my 15 year old bedroom um, feeling all that angst and unsettledness and man, it's nothing else can do that. Like listening to those songs, those albums, it's kind of so interesting. It is. And also, you know, it works the other way where I like the records that I make are going to outlive me. Right. So there's like, I could travel into the future that way too. (laughs) (laughs) We're making a new back to the future movie here. Yeah. yeah, Let's do it. (laughs) So what were some of the artists that you really, so back in those teen years, maybe into your early twenties and stuff, who were you really into? Who, who were some of those artist bands that really kind of have left their fingerprints on you? Yeah, I mean, I grew up with a lot of classics. Like, my dad loved jazz and blues and soul music, so I grew up just, like, steeped in some of the best of that kind of music. And my mom Mm -hmm. loved the folk singers. I kind of had, like, these best of both worlds as my main, like, influences, among a lot of other things. But when I found music myself, I remember really... first album I wanted to buy, first CD was... Red Hot Chili Peppers, Blood Sugar, Sex Magic. Nice. And I remember, like, and I had listened to a lot of music before then, but it was, like, the first CD I wanted. Yeah. And I remember it had explicit content because, (laughs) you know, the Chili Peppers. And there was a lot of, like, stuff on that record that was a little beyond my age at the time. And my dad was like, okay, tell me why you want to buy this record. And I said, well, I love love this song, Under the Bridge. And, like, and he listened to it with me. He's like, oh my gosh, I see why you like this song. Okay, you can have this record. And he didn't like listen to the whole thing. He didn't care about anything else and never asked again. Uh, I could buy any kind of music I wanted after that. Like, And so that was the first record. And then when I started playing guitar, I was greatly influenced by Ani DeFranco. Um, oh, yeah. I found her, like I think, towards the beginning of her career or at least when she started becoming more popular. Mm-hmm. And it was just her solo with her guitar, like that first record. And I just like consumed that with like, it was like my greatest inspiration. And also like not too long after that, I found Ben Harper. Um, oh yeah. And his oh, Welcome to the Cruel World, I think is what that record was called or something like that. But that record and Ani DeFranco's first record were like the beginning kind of pillars of inspiration for my songwriting. When you were talking about who you were listening to, who your parents were playing, how there was kind of a bluesy, there was jazz going on and folk. Cause to me, to my ear, what you're making kind of has pieces of all of those elements of all of those styles in them. I don't know. I hear it as an outsider. Do you hear that as the person making that? Yeah, and to be honest, Brian, it's always been really hard for me to, like, stay within my lane. Like, I love so many different kinds of music, so yeah. I I just have sort of accepted that I, I'm going to allow those influences and those loves to just come through song by song, you know? Mm-hmm. And 
So there are some songs, even on Tiny Beautiful Things, that are more like soul singer leaning, and then right, some that are a little more like folky, mm-hmm. kind of seventies folk leaning, and um, and I just allowed that the, for this record. I just allowed myself permission to just serve the songs and not worry what genre fit into. And some of them are more poppy, like, and I just let it be. And I tried to make like the palette consistent of the sound, so it didn't feel like jarring. But um, yeah, I think. I think you're right. It's it's all in there, all of those influences, mm-hmm. and and I love that about it. It's like they did change all those sounds and, and songwriters and, and genres mm-hmm. changed my way of thinking about music. So yeah, well, there. I can appreciate that, and the fact that it's all there, but it's it doesn't the album doesn't lack identity because I think some albums, and we could probably all think of some that are the styles of songs are so so disparate that you almost think they're not maybe the same artists or the same band. Yeah. When things are a little too eclectic, sometimes it can be hard to feel like you're on a one journey. So that's one thing that I try to keep as a, you know, compass for an album is like, let's make sure that the journey is something someone can go on that, you know, is complete in some way. I agree. And I think you, you really, you, you did that. I mean, it's even, even in the, the space you created where you have a, a really, I think, a, a nice palette of sounds and styles and approaches. It fits, it works really well, and I think you created a very cohesive album. What I'd like to do is, is listen to the first song on the album, Easy. This is a really well-crafted song. I This is the first song of yours that I heard, and I was like, wow, this this is super cool. Uh, let's listen in, and then we'll, we'll chat about it on the backside.
something that strikes me about really the whole album is that it's easy to warm up to. There are some albums I would consider growers that it takes you a few times listening through to catch the vision of what's going on. But Tiny Beautiful Things settles so nicely. So going back to this song, what what can you tell us about what you were trying to express here? Well, the whole album is based on the idea that love is present no matter what we're going through. So I wanted to sort of have these little um, these little moments that are demonstrating the different incarnations of love. And so the, the album starts with one of the more difficult things to do, and it's acceptance. And so this song is really about facing yourself and facing your mistakes and and finding love in that and if we can't really face those things it's really hard to grow or move and if especially like in a relationship if we can't see where we falter and sort of work with it and we can get really stuck or stagnant so easy is all about just the the difficulty of facing our mistakes or facing our things we thought would be one way and they aren't and um and moving through it and that's it's just like it's a mournful song uh, but it has some levity in the acceptance and that's where the peace is of the song like you can find peace and acceptance and it's a hard thing to do but it the peace is in facing it and so easy is about that and it came from a really difficult time where i had to do that and so it kind of the whole album starts out pretty deep you know it's like okay let's let's look right in the mirror at this and and go from there yeah but it's not so heavy it's not preachy it's it's to me it's very accessible even as you touch on some of those universal themes things that anybody would really be able to relate to there is levity i think you used a, a good word um it's because some albums can be so heavy but i i think even when you're writing about some of those deeper things, the the joyfulness of the music and your vocal delivery, I think really, really just kind of is the velvet glove around it all. So it's really, really, really nice. And your mm, your first you. album, Sleepless, that came out in 2003. It's almost yeah. 20 years ago. <laughs> I know, <laughs> it's been a long time. <laughs> as an artist, as a songwriter, how do you think you've developed in those 20 years since Sleepless came out? Well, I mean, anytime we practice something for that long, you just, you learn so many things. Like every time you play a song, you learn a little more about it. And every time you play a song on stage, you learn a little about, more about performing it. So there's just this practice that's happened over all that time, you know, that I can't totally tell you everything that's happened in that. but so much has happened in learning and experiencing yeah. and and I'm grateful for that um, I think that the the same passion and spark that inspired me to write those songs is the same thing I'm working with now 20 years later um, but I learned more about my relationship with my creative self mm-hmm. I learned more about my relationship with performing and and kind of my place in in being useful with my art and that's like a big big part of performing and writing for me is how can I serve with this stuff and I remember when I was about 18 years old 
I had this realization that like I could write a lot of angsty songs that were just like kind of more self-serving, but mm. that mm-hmm. I could also write songs that everyone could relate to that would sort of serve a greater whole. And not to say that I don't write some like broody, angsty stuff still, but it's like I'm always thinking about it relating to everyone instead of just myself. Right. And so as time's gone, time has gone on, I have just learned how to be useful and the things that feel meaningful to my community or feel meaningful to the listener. And that connection is really important to me. So I feel like I've learned ways of, of connecting on deeper levels with who's listening. Um, and that's kind of the ultimate goal for me anyways. So I'm kind of always reaching for that. But every year I feel like, oh man, I'm, I'm writing better songs and oh man, I'm I'm striving for this new sound or striving for this this new depth in, in what I'm delivering. Um, so I kind of always feel like I'm reaching hard and I, don't, I hope that that never stops, you know? So I, I feel like I'm trying to continue to be a beginner in all of it. Last night as I was preparing, I was reading through some of the reviews for Tiny Beautiful Things and it you've really received some great, great reviews. This is pretty universally just loved. Is that encouraging to you or do you kind of shy away from that? Some artists I know don't like to even read that kind of stuff because it kind of gets in their head and can do weird things. But what is it like for you to read what others are saying about your new album? It's so wonderful to feel received for something you've like spent so much life energy on. Like Albums take so much work and time and my co-producer and I, Joe Hedinga, co-produces with me, and we worked so hard on this through the pandemic, virtually, and it everything was remote, and it took so much effort. So, like, putting it out into the world is, like, a feat in itself. Like, that felt like, yay, we did it. And after that, it's like, it almost doesn't matter what happens, but it right. is so wonderful to know that it's touching people and and reaching people's hearts. And so when I read things about how people are connecting to it, that means a lot to me because, like I said earlier, that's the whole point for me. It's like, I always say this, like songs, I write songs, and that's a wonderful process that I'm grateful to be part of. And that that gives me a lot of gratitude and a lot of fulfillment. But Mm -hmm. the way the songs have meaning themselves is by moving through the hearts of people. So you wrote and recorded this really through the thick of COVID-19, but there's a real bright and optimistic feel to your album. Was that in a response to what we were all experiencing or did it just kind of naturally develop that way? The songs came out of that idea of reflecting on all the different ways love shows up in our lives. So that concept is saying like, even when you're heartbroken, love is present. Mm -hmm. And so that concept alone is, it's kind of optimistic. Yeah. One of the things I really appreciate you about you as an artist is the intimacy in your vocal delivery. I really encourage people to listen to your new album with some good headphones or some good AirPods or something, because you can pick up on a lot of the nuances in your delivery, which I'm a huge fan of. In your delivery, you you know you're mixing in a little bit of a of a bluesy feel, and nowhere on the album I think do we hear that more than on the title track. Let's listen to "Tiny Beautiful Things." 
From a production standpoint, I think this is so well done. The the guitar pairing on this is so great, and it's what drives the song. And I think just it, it serves as a great foundation for everything that you built on top of that. You've got one guitar that's laying the foundation. It's got some delay, it seems. And then this acoustic guitar comes over the top and plays these just beautiful guitar phrases. Tell us about how you wrote this one and um, maybe even from a production standpoint, really what you guys were looking to do. This song was written on a really hard day during a hard time. And it was that that moment of feeling like mis we all have moments where we feel misunderstood by someone or misunderstood by the world. Like that I don't fit or... I'm too much or, you know, all of those feelings. So it came from a feeling of that, of like, ah. And I was talking to two of my dear friends and feeling really low. And 
one of my friends who I'm in a band with, she read from Anne of Green Gables, and there's this part in the book where Anne is standing on the edge of this field, and she says something like, my truth is too hot to hold. Like, you can't even, nobody can even handle me, you know? And, like, Anne of Green Gables, in that book, she's, like, too much for everyone. But she's (laughs) magnificent, and, like, you're enthralled with her. This whole book is about her spirit. But... In the book, she's constantly interacting with people telling her, like, you are nuts, basically, and you're too much, and can you please calm down and be a little <laughs> more palatable for everyone else around you? And and so I was thinking about that line, and that's, like, the first line of that song came in, and at the same moment, this light came in through the window, the sunlight, and it was hitting this thing, last piece. I'd never seen this this happened before and it's never happened again since then and it just made this like amazing light spread on the floor right in front of me wow and in that moment i just thought even right here like even in the saddest moment like where my whole heart is sinking there's still so much beauty to be had like look at this mm-hmm. and so that was the moment it was written in and the production i really leaned into that moment of that light so i wanted it to feel very sparkly and like sort of dreamlike um, and a little surreal. Mm -hmm. And one of the reference tracks I used for the guitars on that was actually Taylor Swift's Willow. Because she has all of this like winding, really amazing, like probably like four guitars playing all these cool things. And the songs are very different, Mm -hmm. but I really loved that idea, that concept of having many guitars. And I worked with Mm -hmm. Packy Lundholm, who played a lot of guitar on the record. And we um, just kind of created this really cool landscape of sounds with our guitars. I think there was like maybe six of him and two of me. And we used delay and just did all these things to kind of make those guitars their own world. Um, So we had a lot of fun doing it, but it's still like a really mellow track like (laughs) to listen to. Well, what's interesting is even with all of those guitars and that beautiful guitar foundation, it's not overbaked. It, it still fits within the intimacy of what you're talking about, which is in the studio can be very tricky because it's always, oh, well, let's do this. And pretty soon something can blow up into, you know, <laughs> some kind of Frankenstein's monster. And then you lose track of what it is you're trying to convey. But I love even in the desire you guys had to create this uh, soundscape. This is probably my favorite song on the album. Oh, thank you. That means a lot. That was We were really trying for that sort of richness, but still not taking away from the intimacy of the song. So yeah. that means a lot. Thank you, Brian. So you've been on your journey. You've been a, an artist for over 20 years while you've been writing songs since you were 12. But if you could go back those 20 years when you released Sleepless, what do you think you might share with yourself if you had an opportunity to go back and talk to may sleepless may Hmm. you know i think i i feel like you know everything that's happened has led me here so there's that and i i really feel like i was putting myself out there i was pretty brave and i'm I'm glad for that Mm -hmm. i think that the one thing that is really hard to navigate as a young performer in the industry is just like people have these things they present to you like you have to do this to be successful right and they're presented to you like in this concrete way like you have to 
you know, have a good balance of fast and slow songs on a record in order for anyone to be able to listen to the whole thing. Mm-hmm. And it's like, well, actually, no, Bon Iver proved that's not true. Like, <laughs> or like Elliot Smith or whoever, you know? So it's like, I think that there's a lot of things people will tell you in an advisory place of like, hey, you really should do this or you have to do this to to make it in the world. And mm-hmm. I think anytime anyone says anything like that, like, beware because honestly what the things that have been most successful in my whole career have always been the things that were most honest and true to me and a lot of them broke the rules of those you have to do this to do this and so I would just say to like trust and to any young artist just trust what is uniquely you and really try to make sure that those influences of people in your life are really really ones you want to be in your head because Often that advice isn't really helpful and it'll kind of take you off our path. So I think I was listening to some other voices that, that definitely slowed down my path a little bit wow. um, in ways that it, I could have been a little more trusting of myself and and I had to learn that over time. But I think that's, that's a big hurdle for young artists because you feel so vulnerable and you feel so, you want people's approval, you want people to book you and... So it's easy to start getting into an approval-based way of performing, and that can be really detrimental to what you actually have to offer. What you shared is so rich because I think that's true of life. I think. Yes. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like people who, and and I struggle with that. I have people-pleaser tendencies, and and sometimes that could be good and sometimes maybe not so much the older I get the less power that has over me so to speak but I think what you shared is not only good for for the young artist but I think for me for all of us to to sometimes you got to trust your gut and not not base so much on having the approval of others very very well said sage advice right there let's talk about how people can support you so you're on patreon I saw and so let's talk about that. Where can people buy your music? How can they find out where you're going to be? Because I know you're doing some shows right now in, uh, in the Michigan area, but how can people keep up with what's going on with you? Well, my website is just my name, mayearlywine.com. And I always have my tour dates up there and lots of links to things there. Um, I do have a Patreon, and my Patreon is this wonderful pretty tight-knit community of people who have chosen to support my art in a more um, consistent way and patreon i do like a live show every month i do an update every week often with a song i'm working on or um and they get kind of first access to anything i'm working on and a lot of the backstory behind things and we have there's a tier where we do a monthly zoom sort of concert slash writing workshop nice um and so, and then we have a, I have a Facebook group that's connected to that, the Patreon group. And so it's a lot of just more intimate sharing. And it's been a really wonderful way um, to connect with the people that are supporting my music more deeply. So it's, it's a lot of fun. And I'm really grateful for that support. Very um, cool. And I'll put the links to your website and to through your Patreon page and everything uh, in, the, in the episode description. So people can just click on those easily. Amazing. Thank you. 
yeah, my website has uh, albums for sale and everything, and um, there's still uh, vinyl pre-sale for Tiny Beautiful Things. It's taken a while to get it pressed, but it's it is happening. Um, and then I'm really active on Instagram, and then my music is always on all the streaming sites and everything as well. Very cool, and I'll I'll link all those as well. So before we wrap up our chat, we're going to play a game called Who Would You? And it's a terrible name. I made it up last night, and it was late. So <laughs> these will be these will be questions about who would you want to do this or that. Pretty pretty easy stuff, really. But uh, are you ready? Are you ready for this, May? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So who would you? most want to sing a duet with oh man my dad always says first thought best thought so i'm just gonna go with it um dolly parton wow she's a legend she can sing a duet like nobody i've ever heard like it's like she she just owns it so much any duet i've ever heard her sing it's like it's so satisfying i don't know how she does it yeah i grew up hearing so much well i thought her and kenny rogers were like a, a, a couple because <laughs> they sang so many great duets together um yeah i'm sure you're not alone in that <laughs> yeah all right so if you had to get a tattoo of somebody who would you choose oh my god wow <laughs> i've never asked this question before this is what happens when you're doing uh, episode prep at one in the morning <laughs> Wow, that's such a good question. Oh my god, I have no idea. That's so serious. <laughs> to get a person tattooed on your body. Oh yeah. man. <laughs> um, First thought, best thought. Listen to your dad. It, you can say Dolly Parton. Is it music, music related or? <laughs> no, it could be anybody. Anybody at all. I don't know. This is so hard. So I'm just gonna say one for now. But I think like Ruth Bader Ginsburg would be pretty badass. Okay. <laughs> nice. Nice. All right, so if you could have cup, a cup of coffee with any artist, living or dead, who would you choose? I think I, I mean, this is also so hard. There's so many, but I, my first thought was Frida Kahlo, so. Nice. Oh, that's a great answer. I like that. Okay, and here's the one. it would be one. really interesting. Yeah, it would be. <laughs> so here's the last one. Who would you choose as your three favorite songwriters? Oh, man. I'm going to say Carole King is definitely one of my favorites. Nice. Patty Griffin, I just Very can't, nice. yeah, okay. can't deny her songwriting. And I think Stevie Wonder. Wow, that's a, that's a really cool, that's, a, that's an eclectic group you've got there. He's like, yeah, Stevie's like, he does so many beautiful things with mm -hmm. like melody and harmony and just chords that I just is out of this world to me. So I'll say those for today. You know, tomorrow will be a different three, I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's, and you always, I had uh, somebody on and I asked kind of a similar question. I asked, whose faces would they put on the Mount Rushmore of American songwriters? And he gave me an answer and later he, he texted me back and said, Hey, can I, can I change this? And I'm like, sure. No problem. <laughs> <That's kind laughs> yeah, I know the tattoo one. I'm still like kind of haunted by like, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're going to hold you to it. So I do expect to see a picture up on your Insta here. Yeah. Within the next RBG week. for life, you know? <laughs> 
Well, May, it's been a real joy uh, chatting with you today. Thank you for sitting in the artist's throne. Thank you so much for having me, Brian. Wonderful to talk. Thank you for that. And thank you, everybody, for listening. If you've enjoyed my chat with May Early Wine, please share it on your socials. Leave a kind review or, or follow my podcast. Throw some stars my way. That's such a massive help to a podcaster like myself. So keep your bags packed and join us on our next Journey to the Stage. And that's a wrap. All right. Done and done. Thank you, Brian.